fantastic. Thank you so much. Yeah, and turn the phones off. By the way, God does not use phones or cell phone service on Sundays. No, I'm just kidding. So don't be answering your cell phones on church on Sundays. But if we can have our kiddos go downstairs, Miss Kiki's going to have some awesome stuff for you. I was telling Allie this morning that she's going to have to uh, play a little bit more often than every so often, right? Amen? Yeah. Fantastic. We got a lot of we got a lot of young talent here. If you want to turn in your Bibles to Exodus chapter four, we're going to be continuing on the call of Moses. I've titled the message the last couple of weeks here, Where is Moses when we need him? And uh, so often in our life, and the reason I, I titled it that is because so often in our life when we get into problems and situations, we're looking for other people to fix the problem. And we're looking for the Moses and the Paul and, you know, all these different big faith people. And we don't realize that in the middle of our problems, in the middle of our dramas, that God wants to use us. Turn to someone and say, God wants to use you. God's got uh, Moses' attention and uh, gives him the reasons, gives him what he wants to do. He wants to free his people. And God says, I'm going to do a great show to the Pharaoh. The Pharaoh isn't going to listen to you, but I'm going to bring the people and give them freedom anyways. And Moses starts going through things and he starts going, well, I, I can't talk very well and I can't do this and what about that? And everyone say, what about that, Lord? <sighs> And then God gets kind of mad. And you read in the text that uh, God starts to get a little angry with Moses. And he says, well, you know, let, let's, let's actually start here in verse 1. But Moses protested again. What if they won't believe me or listen to me? What if they say the Lord has never appeared to you? Thank you. Then the Lord asked him, what is in your hand? The shepherd's staff, Moses replied. Throw it to the ground, the Lord told him. So Moses threw down the staff, and it turned into a snake. Moses jumped back. How I many would do that? Then the Lord told him, reach out and grab its tail. So Moses reached out and grabbed its tail, and it turned back into a shepherd's staff in his hand. Perform this sign, the Lord told him. Then there will believe uh, that the Lord, the God of their ancestors, the God of Abraham and Isaac, the God of Jacob, really has appeared to you. Then the Lord said to Moses, now put your hand inside your cloak. So Moses put his hand inside the cloak, and when he took it out again, his hand was white as snow with a severe skin disease. Now put your hand back into your cloak, the Lord said. So Moses put his hand back in, and then when he took it out again, it was as healthy as the rest of his body. And the Lord said to Moses, if they don't believe you and are not convinced by the first miraculous sign, they will be convinced by the second. And if they don't believe you or listen to you even after these two signs, then take some water from the Nile and pour out on dry ground. And when you do, the water from the Nile will turn... Uh, to blood on the ground. But Moses pleaded with the Lord, Oh Lord, I'm not very good with words. I've never been. And I'm not now. Even though you've spoken to me, I get tongue-tied and my words get tangled. And the Lord asked Moses, Who makes a person's mouth? This is when the Lord starts to get a little upset. Who decides whether people speak or do not speak? Or hear or do not hear? Or see or who do not see? Is it not I, the Lord? Now go. And I will be with you as you speak, and I will instruct you in what you say. But Moses, everyone say, but Moses, pleaded again, Lord, please send anyone else. And then the Lord became very angry with Moses. All right, he said, what about your brother Aaron, the Levite? 
I know he speaks well, and look, he's on his way to meet you now. He will be delighted to see you. Talk to him and put the words in his mouth. I will be with both of you as you speak, and I will instruct you both in what to do. Aaron will be your spokesman to the people. He will be your mouthpiece, and you will stand in the place of God for him, telling him what to say. And take your shepherd's staff with you and use it to perform the miraculous sign I will show you. What an amazing thing that we see Moses basically pleading with God, send anyone else but me. And how many with a show of hands have pleaded with God, send anyone else but me? More often than not, that's our plea. But I want you to know that deep hidden in you today is the call of God. And I want you to look outside the call of God as not some kind of priestly robe that you wear. I want you to look at the sacredness that actually the Bible tells us that we are priesthood of believers, that we are all kingdom of priests. You know that? Rabbi Zacharias writes, we are all priests before God. There is no distinction as sacred and secular. In fact, the opposite of sacred is profane. In short, no follower of Christ does secular work. We all have a sacred call. We've all got a sacred call today. So it's not just reserved for the special people. It's not reserved for the card-carrying members of the theological brethren. We all have a sacred call. And where you sit today in the middle of your situations, there is a sacredness there that you can find if you understand that God's placed you there for a specific time and for a specific purpose. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Lord, I just thank you for today. And God, may we understand the sacredness of the moment for all of us. And God, it can wear at us, and we can wear ourselves down. And many of us today maybe have even pleaded with you saying, Send anyone else but me, Lord. I'm not your man. I'm not your woman. But Lord, today I thank you that we are all called, and we're all called to a specific purpose. And we're all called, and our times and our days are appointed. We thank you for that. In Jesus' name we pray. And all God's people said, Amen. Amen. I want you to know today in your calling, and just kind of what Moses was going through, is that there is a huge amount of hope for the situation that we face. In spite of all the drama and the stuff, I want you to turn real quick to Romans chapter 4, verse 17 in your New Testament. Romans chapter 4. There's some things we forget about God in the middle of our trial, don't we? Our trials get too big, God becomes small. I guess what I want you to rehearse in your head when you're going through stuff is not how big your problems are. I want you to rehearse in your head how big God is. We have monumental things that come after us, and we, we go through big things and big events. We're like, oh my gosh, this is so huge. And God is saying, do you know how big I am in the middle of this right now? Do you see how amazingly wonderful, how miraculous I can be in your life if you would allow me to move in that? Romans chapter 4, verse 17. I want you to see how God works. That is what the scripture means when God told him, I have made you the father of many nations. This happened because Abraham believed God who brings the dead back to life and creates new things out of nothing. You say, well, there's nothing God can work with. Well, he doesn't actually need anything to work 
<laughs> I mean, remember Jesus, the, the, the Trinity being at the present, at the time of creation, all of them, he spoke the world out of nothing. He didn't use ingredients. And you say, man, there's nothing that God can use. God doesn't need anything. The only thing God needs is a voice. That's all that God needs. Do you know that all God needs in your household right now is a voice, someone to stand on behalf of God? Do you know that you can speak into existence those things which are not? You can start to declare the things of God, and you can speak forth the life of God in very deadly and things that are full of death in your situation? You need to do that? Maybe you didn't. You can speak the life of God who gives life to the dead and calls those things which do not exist as though they did. Here's what I want you to do, and I believe there is some speech patterns that we have to develop in our life. Some of us have been talking way too much about our problems. Turn to someone and say, are you talking a lot about your problems? Talking a lot about them. We talk a lot about our problems. We highlight certain elements, verbiages, we expand, we create. We're creating more and more of a mess every day in our lives, don't we? We're planning our problems ahead of time. Moses is planning ahead of time in the mountain of God as he's wrestling with him. He is already giving the roadblocks. And that's how come we say, well, God's not talking to me. No, God is speaking to you however he speaks to you, whether it's the billboard, whether it's the word of God, whether it's the car next to you, whether it's the circumstance. God's speaking to you. The problem is for many of us is that we have set up four more roadblocks to state why God can't do what he's supposed to do in that moment. Can I get a hearty amen there? Use anybody but me, God. God says, I can bring anything into existence out of absolutely nothing. Folks, I don't know if that excites you at all, but in your circumstance and in your problem that you face, you serve a God that can change everything. He doesn't even need ingredients. Say, there is no ingredients for him to work with. He doesn't need them. This is where you and I get to join God in creating and expanding his kingdom and his presence into places that hadn't even existed before. You think, man, dark areas of your home? Folks, I challenge you today in the dark area of your life, I, I pray that you would stand there, plant yourself, and start to call things into existence that didn't exist even in your mind. Ideas and thoughts, I want you to start allowing the mind of God to come in and think creatively, kind of like when God was talking to the prophet and he said, can these bones live? God's asking a rhetorical, do you think these bones can live? Ephesians chapter 3, verse 20, let's turn there. Here's how that power is going to work. You think, well, how is this power going to work? Remember, we've all got the idea of I need a Moses in my life right now. I'm going to teach you you don't need Moses in your life right now. Here's how God's mighty power works. Ephesians chapter 3, verse 20.
Now all glory to God who is able through his mighty power at work within who? Us. To accomplish infinitely more than we might ask or think. Isn't that beautiful that the power of God is demonstrated through us? When Moses was to stand before the Pharaoh, God was saying, you will be a representation of me. Do you know when we walk around as believers, as born-again, spirit-filled believers in Jesus Christ, do you know that we represent Christ wherever we go? We don't take and put the Jesus hat on here and then go to work on Monday and live like the devil the rest of the week. Now, when somebody do that, that's not what we're supposed to do. We are a representation of Jesus Christ. And that's how come the world holds us to a greater standard. Have you ever noticed how if you have a bum who's living like the devil, do crazy stuff, nobody really cares about that. But if you have somebody who's a professing Christian that does it, they're held to a different standard. And all the Christians are, man, well, hey, we've got to give them grace. And do... Folks, they're held, you are held to a different standard. Because our expectations are so much greater. We think that's a bad thing. That's a wonderful thing. We're representations of Christ. According to the power that works in you. The power of God works in and through us. You don't have to turn there, but in 2 Corinthians chapter 6, 11-13, I love what Eugene Peterson writes in the Message Bible. He says, Dear, dear Corinthians, I can't tell you how much I long for you to enter this wide-open, spacious life. We didn't fence you in. The smallness you feel comes from within you. Your lives aren't small, but you're living them in a small way. I'm speaking as plainly as I can, and with great affection, open up your lives, live openly and expansively. That smallness that you feel, it's coming from within you. You know, there's a struggle in you. You want to believe the Word of God. You want to believe all these great things. You want to have dreams, and you want to have life, and you want to have future. But that dynamic that starts to come and starts to hit you is you say, but I'm just a small person. There's no way that God can work in me. And God wants to use you in a wonderful way. Our thoughts become small as the enemy invades our space and the situation we face. You know, I love American Pickers. I said that over and over again. I love watching American Pickers. Anybody like American Pickers fans in here? I love it, but you know, they come into these homes and these guys are filled with all these great things. But what ends up happening is these people literally start to, you know, hoard, however you want to call it, but their lives become full of all these boundaries to the point where there is so much stuff, there is so much goodness there, that they haven't even looked at this stuff or used this stuff for years. They'll go to bars and they'll say... I have absolutely no idea what is in these barns, but go ahead and start looking. And these guys will uncover treasures to people. And we become small in our own eyes. And we don't live expansively. God has filled us with every spiritual blessing. The Bible's guaranteed you and me that you have been blessed with every spiritual blessing. You have everything that you would need. And yet our barns are filled with spiritual gifts, wisdom and knowledge and when God comes in there and says I want to use you in a wonderful way give this stuff out we go no 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 I can't I, we're only consumed with us and the enemy comes in there and he boxes us into a place where we think small we live small we dream small 
Tell us someone and say, are you dreaming small? You dreaming small? You loving small? I dare you to risk in love. I dare you. Listen, what are you talking about? You know, you know what I'm talking about. We protect ourselves, don't we? We don't want to stretch out. We don't want to just dive into someone's life, you know, because that would make everyone kind of feel awkward. But imagine just blessing someone's socks off and just loving them to Christ. Can you imagine that? Just loving someone. Just loving them. Just, just dying to yourself and your own ideas, your own wills, and making sure that that person did something for you right. No, just bless someone's socks off this week and see how it expands your heart and your horizons. I promise you this, you will get your mind off yourself a little bit more. You'll get what I call the Moses Syndrome. Lord, what about my speech? What about this? Lord, and at the end of the day, use someone else but me. I want the energy. I want the drive. I want the imagination to stay alive so that I can go to places that I didn't dream possible, that I didn't even know existed before in my life. He gives life to the dead, and he calls those things which do not exist as though they did. You know what you're going to have to do in your own life if love doesn't exist in your home? You're going to have to start calling it out like it did. You have to start acting like it is there. You have to start performing like it's there. You know, one of the things that I don't like in, in small church mindset many times is that we get too comfortable with people and that we don't treat people like, like in bigger churches, you know, you're always on point because people might come wherever, but we just get a little too comfortable with people and we don't treat them with honor and respect and we don't lift them up because they're just part of the gang now. And so in all of our life, and when we're, when we're doing all that we do here and blessing people, folks, treat them like this is their first time in the door in our church. Give them a big bear hug. Don't just go, oh, I've seen that from you. No, give them a big holy kiss. Give them a holy hug. Do something that you haven't done before. Please, get out of your box. Your spiritual home is full of stuff that's not being used in the kingdom of God. Our thoughts become small in the church because the enemy has invaded our space and has set for us boundaries and says... You can't go any further. And I want to challenge your thinking and challenge my thinking here at Turning Point Church in 2017 saying, do you see and do you know the God that brings into existence things that never even existed before? I don't care the circumstance. Turn to someone and say, I don't care what your circumstance is. Everybody didn't say that. You're all going to have to say it. I'm sorry, I can't go to the next point. I don't care what your circumstance is. You need to say it. You need to say it. One of my favorite sections of Scripture was when Paul told Timothy... 
Timothy, you need to stir up the gift in you. You've got something in you that needs to be stirred up. You have gifts in you that are sitting in a closet. You've got the beautiful Model A car that everybody would love to enjoy, but no, it's back there under a bunch of junk, and now it looks like a jalopy mess, and somebody wants to bless it. We're full of good things that God has blessed us with, and the power of God living within us. And yet we live in existence full of boundaries. We box ourselves in. Jack Hayford wrote this, Don't confine God to what He has already done. I want you to think about that for a moment. God told the Israelites further on down the road, He said, forget the former things that I've done. Forget about what I've done. Well, Lord, that was really cool. That was great. See, what happens in a Christian's life, and we're all guilty of it, is we go down the miracle memory lane. How many have been there before? We look at good old days, and we look at good old times, and we say, boy, that was really special. But what are you doing right now to create anything? I don't want you to remember the former things. Not sin stuff, but good stuff. Because I've got more good stuff. See, we don't believe that the God back here who did the miracles, who did the changes in our life, who had all that dynamics going on, is the same God down the road who is going to do a new thing. See, God is the same yesterday, today, and forever, but the Bible declares that He is doing a new thing. God is the same, but He is always changing. It's the same God, but changing things. Just like Jesus, when He saw the man blind, and He spits out the mud and puts the clay on His eyes, and He sees, folks, He's not spitting on mud and doing the same miracle anymore. He's doing things different. He's creative. He's making, he's forming. Do you know, God didn't stop creating at the time of creation. God is always creating and forming. He didn't just shut that off. Now, creation, he gave creation the ability to reproduce of its own kind. He gave growth. You see all the beautiful things growing up in spring now. He said, you grow, and he told the seed what to do. But guys, God didn't shut off the creation mode in his own life. The universe is ever-expanding and our lives with Christ should ever be expanding, not contracting, not going down, not boxing ourselves in, not putting us in a place and saying, The Lord is good, and I thank you for what you did 25 years ago. What are you dreaming about now? What are you driven about now? Moses, with your speech impediment, do you believe me? Folks, I want to ask you, are you confining God in the situation you face? Have you confined God? I love one of the beautiful scriptures that says, taste and see that the Lord is good. You don't have to believe me today. You can have all your little pet doctrines in your head. You can say whatever you want about whatever. You can be a dispensational person that says, well, the miracles stop and the disciples after the twelve disciples. Pastor. You can be one of those people. So what? Are you confining God in the situation you face? Are you making the rules as the day progresses in your life? 
God can do this, but he can't do that. Because this just happened and this person messed this thing up. How many have done that? (laughs) You've made the rules. You've made the rules along the way. That's not fair to God. You've set the rules up and you've set the stage and you go, well, that's how this is going and God, this is how this is going to be confined. Now, we're actually dictating to God how the call will manifest and how the things will work out. And that's why God had to constantly, and I love God, He is rich in mercy and grace. And even with all of our obstacles, God still works within our context. You know, God is a gentleman, the Holy Spirit's a gentleman. He won't make you do anything today. You know that? Won't make you do nothing. He will plead with you. He will stand at the door of your heart. He'll knock. He'll chase you. He will do all of those things. God will, because He loves you. And Moses saying, hey, I can't do this, because I, well, fine, you want Aaron? Send Aaron. Aaron's coming up the hill now. Now what's your excuse? (laughs) See, that's just like God. I love it, because we'll set the parameters for Isaac. Fine, those parameters aren't going to stop me. We'll just keep working in the context of this. There is no plan B. We'll just keep working down the road, and we'll just keep going until you get to the point where you believe me and trust me. Put your hand in your cloak. Watch this, Moses. Ah! See? Why was he doing all those things? To show Moses that he was greater than anything that he had ever seen. That he was a supernatural God working in wonderful ways. We confine ourselves. And we confine God. We lose our steps. And then we sit. And here's what we do as good Christians. We create a cocoon around ourselves and we start to nest. We've got the spiritual cocoon. We just sit here. And we fill ourselves with good memories. And they're good memories nonetheless. But what we have done is we've cocooned ourselves in. And we are no longer expansive. When we should be like that butterfly and we should be flying around because we should get out of this cocoon. We should get out of the cocoon, folks. We should get out of the nesting mode. We should get out of that mode and get into an ever-expansive mode that God wants to work. Things haven't changed in our lives and circumstances, so we die over and over again. It further emboldens us against God and His plans, and we can find ourselves more. Jack Hayford goes on to write, maybe what the Lord is getting ready to change is you rather than your circumstances. Maybe right now, the change won't be that. You know, I think of the Babylonian exile, and we hear the the plans that I have for you, declares the Lord. I've said it over and over again. But they were going to be in that Babylonian exile for a long time. And he said, I want you to plant. I want you to have houses. I want you to have families. I want you to do what you're going to do. I want you to be driven and focused. I want you to be the best neighbor in the world. But what am I supposed to do right now? What is this supposed to happen? How are these circumstances going to change? No, the circumstances might not change right now, but you can change. You can change. Husbands and wives, as opposed to changing each other, I challenge you, change yourself. I don't need to change it. I'm good. She's wrong. We'll just keep up that line. That will always work. Wives, as opposed to trying to change your husband to do this and to put the seat down and do that, just thank the Lord that your husband's there that you can put the seat down for him. Just 
complain about this, complain about that circumstance, and we miss out on the opportunity to have a call and to enjoy the moment. When you woke up this morning, did you notice anything other than yourself? Did you think about anything? Did you think about God's creation? The one thing that I kind of do when I got into a habit is I go beeline straight for the window because I want to see my woodpecker. But the woodpecker makes my day. God made that woodpecker bang his head all day long and he never has a headache. Think about that. What a beautiful creation. See, anything in your life, if you allow it to, can spark a conversation with the Lord and sing his bigness. Anything. Don't die over and over again. You can wake up to things. But maybe, just maybe right now, maybe God changes the circumstances. Maybe he moves you into something new and it's a great purpose and an opportunity. But maybe right now, God is just simply trying to change you. Be open to that. God, are you trying to change me right now? Are there some things that are not lining up in the Word? God, Holy Spirit, I pray that you inspect my life and see if there is anything that is not bringing glory to you. God, I want that out of my life right now. Change me. George Fox was born in Fairy Drayton in England. As a young man, Fox was burdened by an overwhelming sense of guilt. After seeking help from various religious leaders but finding none, a great, a great anguish of spirit, he turned to seek God in his own heart. In his journal, he tells how he found peace. When all my hopes in them and all men were gone, so that I had nothing outwardly to help me, then I heard a voice which said, There is one, even Christ Jesus, that can speak to thy condition. And when I heard it, my heart, my heart did leap for joy. See, when everything outside of us doesn't fulfill us. And we finally get to the point to where the only person that can fulfill us is Christ Jesus. That is when your heart is going to leap for joy. Nothing else. Next thing God does as he, a calling creates something out of nothing is God gives meaning to our movements. You know, I love the verse of scripture that says this, that unless the Lord builds it, those who labor in vain, you know, those who labor, labor in vain. God will guide your footsteps, folks, if you're willing to move your feet. Turn to someone and say, it's time to move your feet. <laughs> Moses couldn't stay up in the mountain. How many would have loved to stay up in the mountain and have God do some more cool stuff? I mean, for me, I'm going to say, God, what else can you do? Like, this is really cool. And I would, what I would do is I would have, like, put my hand back in my shirt again and said, let's do it again. <laughs> And I would throw my stick down. You know, I think the church many times is that's where we get stuck. We, we, I'm going to throw the stick down again. It's not working. God, why isn't the stick changing again? Where's the hand stuff? I want to tell more people about the hand thing. You can't stay there. In fact, where God drives us, he speaks to us in the mountain. And then God drives us into the valley of our life. He drives us into the valley. But have you noticed up in the mountains... There's a Saturday morning show where these guys rock the park, it's called, and they just go up into these mountains, these places. Folks, the tops of the mountains are really great, and there's a great view up there, but it's a really horrible place to live. Mount Everest, hundreds of people die every year trying to scale this mountain, 
It's horrible avalanches. Oxygen levels are horrible. People die just to see the peak. But you know where all the life and all the things happen? It happens down in the valleys of our life. Not in the mountains. The mountains are the grandeur. It's wow. It's the power. You see the, the big picture. Folks, the reason we get to the mountain is so we can see the big picture so that we can get back down to the daily minutia and say, hey, there's more. Let's keep moving because there's this expanse in life that God has for us. God gives meaning to our movement. Os Guinness wrote this. Calling transforms things by reminding us that drudgery is a part of the cost of discipleship. Anybody in the drudgery right now? Oswald Chambers writes that drudgery is the touchstone of character. We look for big things to do. Here's what Jesus did. Jesus took a towel and washed the disciples' feet. We presume the place to be is the mountaintop of vision. He sends us back to the valley. He requires our obedience in the routine, the unseen, and the thankless. Our idea for ourselves is the grand moment, and the hushed crowd is his ordinary things with the footlights are switched off. Oswald Chambers goes on to write, It is inbred in us that we have to do exceptional things for God. Anybody thought, I've got to do some big things for God. I haven't, a bunch of people haven't gotten saved. And no, nobody's gotten healed. I've got to do some big things for God. I'm, how many of you ever felt like guilt? You don't have to raise your hand, but you felt guilty because you haven't done any exceptional things for God. But here's what Oswald Chambers says, and I love it. He says, but we have not. We have to be exceptional in the ordinary things. To be holy in mean streets, among mean people, and that is not learned in five minutes. Folks, and you can tell about the character and the qualities of God and being in the mean streets. Just have someone cut in front of you in line at a restaurant and see what goes on inside of you. I'm not the only person that gets upset. <laughs> See what happens at the restaurant when the food comes a little cold and see how we have these little horns that come out of our head and say, Where's the waitress? My corn is cold. I want to do great things for God, but I can't even keep balance when the corn is cold at the restaurant. Great things for God. God, I want to be used of you. Get out of my way. I want my coffee now. That's real life. That's the drudgery. I was in line with Hunter yesterday, and this lady was buying the system at the game place, and I literally had to turn around, and I literally just go, oh, dear God, this is taking so long. I literally turned around and just looked the other way. I just, just, I ran out of time. I was busy. I was in a hurry. I just was like, Hunter's like, Dad, I'm like, hmm. I'm the only one that does that. Among mean people in mean streets. And that is not learned in five minutes. I asked Jesus Christ in my heart, great, now you're in for the biggest battle of your life. Because you're going to have to die yourself now. I'm glad you walked the aisle, brother or sister. I'm glad you said the sinner's prayer and meant it by faith and asked Christ in. Now is the hard work because you've got to go back to that place of employment with that boss you don't like and you're going to have to put a smile on your face and you're going to have to die to yourself and your ideas, brother or sister. You're going to have to turn the other cheek. You're going to have to have patience. Oh, patience. You have to be long-suffering. See, we don't teach that in Western Christianity. 
We want what's mine. Colossians chapter 1. Just a few books forward. Galatians, Ephesians, Philippians, Colossians. Colossians chapter 1. Turn to someone real quick and say, there's some mean streets out there. You don't have to go far for mean streets. Colossians chapter 1, 9 through 14. So we have not stopped praying for you since we first heard about you. We ask God to give you complete knowledge of his will and to give you spiritual understanding and wisdom. Then the way you will live will always honor and please the Lord and your lives will produce every kind of good fruit. So here's what he was praying for, spiritual wisdom and knowledge and understanding so that we would walk in a manner worthy of our calling. When you start to walk out with the things of God, you start to display a life that is worthy of the calling. Not perfection, but you are going in a different direction than everyone else. You are focused upwardly and your eyes are focused on Jesus Christ and Him only. Walk in a manner worthy of the calling. I love this. I read in a book. It said, not long ago, a philosophy professor became so fabled for his lectures that his classes were standing room at the back of the hall. Students flocked to hear his wisdom, but his class assignments always produced consternation. But sir, a chorus of voices typically rang out after he explained the topic in detail. How long does the essay have to be? How many pages do you want? The question always seemed to make the professor wince. But then it was the student's turn. Look, he would reply, don't worry about the length. Forget your future careers for the moment. Remember the grade is secondary. Just hand in something that you can respect. And this is where we have to become introspective in the call. Are we handing something to God that we respect? and say, God, this is the best gift, this is all of me? Or are we giving God little scraps of our lives? All God wants is for us to finish the race and to fight the good fight, as Paul declared. Not perfection, turns where we say, not perfection. He wants you to give your all. You know, I heard about the call of God, and when we come into salvation with Christ, it's a priceless gift, but it will cost you everything. God's asking for our wholehearted devotion. And this is where many of us in the church, in the West, we produce a lukewarm faith, a faith that requires neither courage nor conviction. It's a live-as-you-please kind of faith. We do what's right in our own eyes for the most part many times, don't we? And we need to start attuning our lives and adjusting our lives to the Word of God and the counsel of God. Here's what I want you to do as you're walking through life and through the stages of life. Plant yourself right in the middle of the situations you face. Snow Anderson wrote this, I've come to realize that by planting my roots here so firmly, I am no longer borrowing history. I am living in and even creating history. Snow Anderson, and for all of us, and understand that right now in your moment, you know in your walk with God and where you at, how God has placed you, that you can actually start creating history where you're at. You know, one thing that I start to realize with my children is they are growing up and they're not little anymore. I really did think this, guys. You know how you get kind of trapped in your own little 
I don't know, kid phase or whatever, and you think that the kids will never grow up, but the kids grow up. And I start looking at each of them, and as they're growing, and I go, man, and I just start to wonder, Lord, what kind of history that our home gives them. And I think of the heritage that me and Ann can give to them, and the blessing that we can give to them as we pour our hearts into them, that we are living history right now in our home. We're living history. And from generation to generation, that seed of faith has been planted. And as each child in their own relationship with Christ grabs onto him, wherever they are in those moments, you know, each of them will have that breaking point where they realize, God, I need you in my life. Even now, but even greater as life compounds for different things, that they'll say, Christ is the firm foundation for me. Produce history where you're at right now. Turn to someone and say, you're a history maker. Make history. I love what Chuck Swindoll said, and Sandra, if you want to come up and start playing. I love what Chuck Swindoll said about his mom. His mom was a history maker. He wrote, As far back as I can remember, my mother would have me down by the bed at night with her praying. I can still hear her voice calling my name to God and telling him that she wanted me to follow him and whatever he called him to do. You say, how do, I, how do I make history? Maybe it just starts with prayer right now. You start making history. You know Billy Graham, America's greatest evangelist, one of the greatest evangelists in the history. You know, people don't know this, but the call of God came to someone behind the scenes. And many people don't know this. Me and Anne actually went down to the museum a few years ago and saw it. There was a person that would rent out a hotel room three days before or a week before his, his crusades. And that person would sit at the bedside and cover Billy Graham in prayer before every crusade that he went to. He didn't know it until years later that someone would literally go to the town to the town and they would literally rent the hotel room and they would pray for Billy Graham and their crusade that those who come to Christ and come to him, they would pave away. That person has brought so many people to the kingdom of God as a result of their prayers. What's your call today? I have no idea. I do know when I look out on everyone here that you are all called. I do know when I look in your situations and some of the things that you guys are facing and faced up against, I do know that today in the middle of it all that you can start to see God move in a very powerful way. Why don't you close your eyes for a moment? I do know that right now God's call forms something out of nothing. You might think today that you have nothing to work with or God has nothing to work with anymore because of all the things that you think you've depleted. You think today that you might have depleted all the grace of God available to you. God's mercies are new every day. And you get a fresh start. And the moment your feet hit the ground, that's a new opportunity for you. And as long as you have breath in your lungs, God's not done with you yet. Today you say right now that not only do I not know the call of God, but I don't have a relationship with Christ. And I want to know Jesus as my Lord and Savior. I want you to know that Jesus died on the cross over 2,000 years ago for you. And if you were the only one here on this earth, that Christ would have died the same violent death for you so that you can have eternity with him.
You are an eternal being today, dear one. You will either spend with Him or you will spend an eternal darkness away from Him. Today you can know Him and He longs to have friendship and relationship with you. And I don't care if you've been to church for 50 years and your grandma prayed. If you've never struck a relationship with Christ, He says today is the day of salvation, not tomorrow. Today, if you want to know Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, with every head bowed and every eye closed, you simply responding to the reality that, man, I need Christ, I am desperate for Him. Today, if that's you, why don't you raise your hand? I want to pray with you. Second thing I want to deal with today is specifically the call of God. You might have been that believer right now today where you feel crowded in and you feel boxed in and you're now sitting and you've cocooned your life. And you're remembering a lot of former things, but you're really not thinking about any future things. And God is saying to you today, I want to speak through you. I want to do things through you. I want to do some wonderful things. God is opening your mind to the possibilities, to the call of God for your life. Today you're recognizing the call of God for your life. Whatever it is He's calling you to do. Maybe it's the call to pray. Maybe it's the call to change this situation. Maybe it's the call just to stand in the gap in behalf of a situation that's really broken. I don't know what it is. But God's calling you and you're recognizing it and you're making yourself available to it. Today, if that's you, I want you to raise your hand. I want to pray with you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Call of God. Why don't we declare this? Dear Jesus, I thank you for calling me, and I am taking advantage of this moment, of this mountain. I thank you, God, that you're going to use me to do great things, that the power of God works in me. Thank you, God, that if the circumstances don't change, I'm going to change. I thank you, God, for making a way right now. In Jesus' name. Amen. Folks, I love you very much. Remember, we're all called. And we're all chosen by God to do some pretty awesome things. And in your corner of the globe, wherever you are, God's going to use you to speak whatever it be to mountains, to even make things that were even available before and make it into existence, whatever it would be. But God wants to do awesome things. I love you very much. Don't forget, if you need prayer for anything, um, just want to grab someone real quick and say, hey man, pray with me. Don't leave here until that's done. But I love you, love you very much. Have a wonderful day.